Here at Educas, we continue to provide a comprehensive package of support to aid you in the delivery of our geography qualifications, including expert advice and guidance from our subject specialists to support your teaching and free resources to be used in the classroom or for blended learning. We're here to support you. Hello there and welcome to JobPod. For today's session, I'm joined by Ian Freeland, Her Majesty's Inspector and National Lead for Geography. Ian, thanks for agreeing to join us on JobPod today. Thanks, John. It's great to be able to come and share with you some of the work that we're doing in Offset at this point in time. What interested me when I was, I was looking at this was what sort of career path would, have, would take you to become such a, a prestigious position at National Lead for Geography? What, what, what were the choices? How did you get there? Sure. Uh, and, and my path is a, a, a slightly peculiar one, John. I started working in the construction industry once I graduated and, uh, and worked in, in the world of surveying. Um, but decided after a few years that that, that wasn't for me. So I retrained and, and moved down to England um, where I trained to teach um, and, and started just and followed really a kind of moving through the ranks career. I was, I was a classroom teacher, geography teacher in a, in a small secondary school in West Yorkshire. I moved to a bigger secondary school in West Yorkshire with a sixth form. Um, and then I moved to another school in, in Bradford where I, where I took on a head of humanities role. And um, then I then I had a complete change and moved down to Cornwall. Um, but at the time of um, specialist schools, if you remember them, and I was I was the assistant head in charge of the humanities specialism, which was which was an exciting prospect at the time. Moved around Cornwall for a little bit, um, ended up as a deputy head in a, in a very large secondary school, rural rural Cornwall, and then got seconded out to a school that was uh, had just been graded inadequate um, to go in and help them on their improvement journey. I ended up staying with, with that school and the trust that ran it for about seven years um, and ended up as the, uh, the one of the executive directors of that trust. During that time, I was subject to a lot of Ofsted inspections. I think I counted about 13 or 14 during, during that during my, my career um, and I always found it um, pretty, pretty much always found it to be a, a really positive experience and, and really admired the HMI who was working with us when we were when we were in category so um, sparked a little flame I trained as an offset inspector you, you'll know that, that the vast majority of offset inspectors are, are heads and deputies in schools and I did that training and, and did a few years of um, popping out and doing some inspections every couple of uh, every couple of of months, um, and then um, and then decided actually, you know what, I wouldn't mind making a career out of that, and, and taking a new twist in my my career path, and so I applied uh, to to join the HMI workforce, um, and started in 2016. So this is my fifth anniversary comes up in in just a couple of weeks' time. So, um, and I've been a very happy happy to to carry out that role for a while. Um, the last three years I've taken on the geography mantle um, within when Ofsted and it's, it's a real privilege to internally and externally represent Ofsted in the world of geography. <laughs> well that's interesting. I, I, uh, as an assistant head I led our maths and computing specialism before I moved to the GA so uh, it, it was an interesting time. We had to raise fifty thousand pounds. Were you in the same position? Yeah, no. I was very fortunate. I I started in my post just after they had received the fifty thousand pounds. They get they they they'd had their own fifty thousand and then they had it matched, and uh, and so I had the money to 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 start to start the work without having to do all the bidding, which was which was really good. <laughs> <clears throat> Lucky you. <laughs> that was fun. I go back a long way, as you might guess, and. Uh, during the first part of my teaching career, about 15 years actually, schools were inspected by the local education authority. We had a different relationship. Offset just didn't exist. So it'd be interesting to, if you could talk us through why there was a change. Um, what is Offset? What does it do? Yeah, no, that's 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 fine, John. And and time flies, uh, John. So you might be surprised when I tell you that that Ofsted came into being in 1992, and initially it was set up to carry out school inspections. And the reasons for that, I think, were there, there was uh, there were concerns in the sector around the variability in those local arrangements that you you talked about. As you say, most inspections were carried out by local authority advisors and inspectors, um, and and there was recognised to be some inconsistency. So uh, the the government of the day created uh, Ofsted um, in, a, in a very much smaller form than it than it is today. Over the over the years, Ofsted's 
uh, remit has been increased. So Ofsted uh, picked up the responsibility to inspect local authorities. And then further education, colleges and, and skills providers were, were added into into the mix as well. And then even more recently, we, we were given responsibility for the inspection and regulation of the early years providers. And then most recently, I guess, is that Ofsted um, amalgamated with the children's care um, inspectorates, and there were a fair few of them um, to take responsibility for children's social care. And, and actually Ofsted was renamed in I think about 2007 um, uh, so we, we moved away from being the Office for Standards in Education as we as we were to be in the Office for Standards in Education and um, and Children's Social Care as well. So a much broader um, broader re remit that, that comes on there. And, and we've also got other responsibilities. We inspect the non-association independent schools, so those that, that aren't part of um, one of the the, the kind of organisations that oversees um, independent schools like the, uh, the HMC and we inspect initial teacher education providers as well and and the, the kind of role that the responsibilities of that seem to just be keeping on growing so um, in April this year then university level apprenticeships will now be inspected by Ofsted as well so that's kind of what we do and, and why do we do it well we're there to support and challenge providers in both the education but in the, the the children's social care space as well to give the very best service to young people and the adults that the service caters for we do it through inspection we do it through regulation in, in some of our sectors not schools but in other sectors we're the regulator as well and of course we publish our reports um, publicly and we also you know, jointly with that inform government both central and local about our findings most people know us for our work in the maintained school space, um, and we inspect our we, we we inspect schools on a regular basis. It's done through a risk assessment process. So most schools are inspected approximately once every four years. Obviously, the pandemic is is um, put regular inspections on on hold for the moment, but at some point they will resume. But for schools that require improvement or those that are inadequate, then they will receive inspection more frequently. So. That's kind of that's kind of what we do and why we do it. It's interesting because it's it's also been it's grown hugely, obviously, from what you've said. But it's also it, you continuously reflect. It'd be interesting to, to know what the process of that is. But it's you've evolved because uh, at the GA's 2019 conference, you told delegates that um, that the curriculum had replaced data. It, it tended to get the reputation of being data driven, but actually. The curriculum is the new unit of inspection. And you there, interestingly, urged geographers to go back and look again at what they teach and how they teach it. It's a really interesting message. And that's all the best geographers ought to be doing. All of us should be looking back at why are we doing this? What are we doing? What's the process? And um, and how does how does Ofsted evolve like that? Sure. So so we work through frameworks, uh, inspection frameworks, and we refresh them periodically. We review them. 2015, we had a we had a review of the 2012 framework, and, and some tweaks were made. When the new chief inspector um, joined us in 2017, she set out a very clear set of principles for Ofsted. We would be uh, responsible, intellectual, and focused in our work, and and she wanted a real focus on the substance of education or the curriculum. Um, as, as how it plays out. So, um, in that in that sense, the new framework that started in September 2019 um, spends less time with inspectors looking at test and assessment data, and much more time looking at what is taught and how it's taught. Um, so, really, that this new approach that that we've now had for for nearly a couple of years now, but it's considering how the providers achieving those outcomes uh, at the end of their process, whether that is at the end of a key stage in primary school or it's GCSEs or A-levels um, in, in secondary schools or other qualifications, of course, in, in, in departments other than geography. Um, and really, where's this come from? We've got a real drive in Ofsted to make sure that good results come from teaching the broad and rich curriculum that, that I don't know about you, John, but certainly when I went into teaching, uh, that, that's, that was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted my children to have the richest experience that, that they could have and to learn to learn more about the world in which they live and the people and the people in it. So Ofsted really wants to reflect the real learning, not, you know, potentially that there's a, a risk and, and, you know, 
we've got to be honest with it that some schools were very intensely preparing children for tests um, and and so there was potentially that the level of security and understanding uh, that youngsters had about the subjects that they that they were learning might not have been as as deep and secure as we as we would like them to be so so consequently we come to a kind of grading system that reflects the things that matter most uh, i think certainly to parents but also to the, the education community as well the big one now quality of education so everything where well before there was there were two different strands that looked at, at kind of academic progress now we've just got one quality of education judgment and then separately to that children's behaviors and attitudes their personal development and the leadership and management of the school it's interesting what you said there um, about wanting a rich curriculum um, I started teaching well before the national curriculum. And sometimes I've said that on teacher training courses and people have said, well, what did you teach them? How did you, how did you know what to do? There was a lot of writing. There was a lot of writing from organisations like the Geographical Association about what a, a curriculum should look like, a lot of academic writing. So it, it wasn't difficult, I think, to find a rich curriculum to teach, but you had to search it out. Um, and this new framework puts curriculum leaders back in the centre of the inspection process, doesn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Curriculum leaders are certainly more central now to the process than, than perhaps under previous frameworks there. But they're the ones who are most likely to have that depth of insight, John, as, as you say, that explains what is taught and how it's, how it's structured. So that's what we might call intent. Um, and I think probably for me, and I probably it's a good place to bust a myth or two, but you know, a lot of people talk to me about their their intent statements, um, and and you know, I think that's they're, they're interesting, and some of them are very poetic pieces of work, but. It, Really, they, they, they do give some insight into the rationale for the school's approach to geography teaching in, in our case. But you know, it's, we know it's the substance that's going to be making the difference. So really, although many people do spend a lot of time writing these statements and adapting their, their websites and restructuring staffing and all the rest of it, you know, I would suggest that intent's not anything new. It, it, intent for me is content. And actually, that's what we're interested in. So. I think going back to your point on curriculum leaders, you know, it's the curriculum leader who's best placed to ensure that, you know, the way in which it's taught, including how it's assessed and how assessments are used, are likely to, to give the greatest insight. So they've got a really important role in schools. I think this framework kind of stresses kind of that importance a bit more around leadership and management of course there's lots of different models that can be used but making sure that staff get the professional development that they need in order to be able to teach the subject just as well as they can the new quality of education judgment has three doesn't it It has three eyes so there's the intent which we've just talked about um, and an intent statement doesn't necessarily convey the same thing to two or three people unless it's a collaborative statement anyway. So uh, it's about what goes on in the classroom, right? There are, but there are three. There's, there's intent, implementation and impact. I'll not ask you about deep dives just yet, but just explain through what the intentions are with intent, implementation and impact for us. What is sure. it you're looking for? Sure. So intent, what do you teach? How have you structured it? Um, it's, it's very much the kind of uh, the focus looking at the, the intended curriculum if you like what do you expect children to learn as they go through your your year or your 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 key stage or their time in the school and, and we look at that on a kind of continuum uh, thread as the, as the child goes through their geography journey for the implementation um, of the second of the eyes then then how that you know really there we're focused on how teachers translate um, the intended curriculum, the planned curriculum, into what actually happens in their classroom. So we might be thinking about the, you know, how the, the the breadth, or if you like, the scope of the curriculum kind of translates into into classroom practice. We know that schools are required to to teach at least the requirements set out in the national curriculum. Academies have some freedoms, but actually, what's set out in the national curriculum is the minimum. Um, so for us, we want to see how that's being translated into being uh, being taught in a really meaningful way. So we're likely to look at things like the teaching approaches that are being taken and how effective they are. And, and that probably takes us on to the third eye, which is impact, because we'll know whether the teaching methods and the curriculum have been successful if the children remember what they've been taught. 
So that's the real impact for us, that pupils' uh, phrases know more, remember more. And, and I add for us in, in the geography space with our geographical skills strand, that pupils can do more. So not to say there's not an eye to published outcomes, particularly in, in secondaries where we've got GCSE and A-levels um, in, in normal times, where it would be you know, uh, completed through examination and, and standardized and moderated by the exam boards. Um, they, are, they still play a part, but actually it's what children know and what they can explain or what we can see in their work that, that, that is the real impact of teachers' work. So when you come, um, and I keep hearing the phrase, this is, past, this is past my time really, but a deep dive. So we're going to do a deep dive into geography. What is it, what's a deep dive into? Sure. So, uh, so the, the methodology for uh, inspections these days is, is around uh, the, the deep dive methodology. So the process begins uh, the day before the on-site inspection with the, the lead inspector having a discussion with the head teacher. Sometimes the head teacher is joined by other senior team colleagues. And there's a discussion around kind of the rationale that sits behind the whole school curriculum. Out of that conversation, the lead inspector will identify usually between three and six subjects that they want to have a look at to see kind of how those uh, the school's effectiveness plays out. So they're not subject inspections, but they are looking at the kind of more widespread school-wide uh, strengths and weaknesses that, that can be seen through, if you like, thinking about the subjects as lenses. So we might look at, for example, in a primary school, we'll always look through the lens of reading. So we'll look at reading, we possibly get, I don't know, we could pick out any, any of the, the kind of national curriculum subjects, mathematics, geography and uh, art, for example. And inspectors will spend probably around half a day looking at each of those, uh, maybe slightly longer, talking to children about their learning, visiting lessons talking to teachers about what they've taught, looking at the curriculum plans and talking to the curriculum leader about how it all hangs together, both before and, and after. And typically an inspector through those activities, they'll be accompanied by, um, often it is these days, the curriculum leader who accompanies them, but sometimes it's the head or the deputy. And we'll pull together all that we're seeing. And, and what we're looking at is, it really kind of are there those kind of common strands that appear through uh, through different subjects so at the end of the first day the the, the team the inspection team who, who who come and visit the school will will get together with the head teacher in, in in attendance and they'll talk about those things that they've seen through the lenses of the subjects that they've they've been looking through to see what those kind of commonalities are and the plan for the second day then comes out of testing them we, we pose them as hypotheses we think this because and then we go out and check and we, we might look across other subjects so if geography's not been a deep dive on the first day it, it may well be that it that geography is part of the mix on the second day as we say well we saw this in subjects yesterday does that play true in, in geography or does that play true in music, for example? So that's kind of the deep dive methodology. It, it's, it's a very focused way um, of gathering that insight into a school's strengths and weaknesses. I think there are some concerns at primary about what good geography looks like, because sometimes they have geography leads who haven't done any geography since they were at school themselves. Um, and so, it, if you can, can you give us a flavour of what good geography looks like in a primary school? Yeah, I think if we if we look at some of the kind of principles that sit behind that, John, um, we've talked about scope already. So, you know, are we covering the breadth of of the national curriculum as as the minimum? Um, it's important that children get a really solid grounding starting in the early years. So thinking of things, thinking of the scope and how it builds over time. So really think about the structure of the curriculum. You know, if we think back to the early years, that's that's the sort of place where we start to be introducing children to some of the, the kind of key language that we use, the vocabulary that we use so that they can explain things that they see and they begin to appreciate things like positionality and spatial thinking for us. And then, of course, they progress through their primary education and, and key stage three. We know we've got such a wealth of knowledge in, 
in a subject that we want youngsters to learn. So again, we've got to think about how that is progressed through. We've got to think about, you know, and I think the National Curriculum really helpfully sets us out the four strands or forms of knowledge that, that, that we want children to learn. We've got our locational knowledge, the place knowledge, the human and physical processes, and of course our geographical skills. But we want to make sure there's balance there as well. It's, it's very easy for, and, and you know, certainly through my, my own work, but that of other inspectors as well, you see imbalance coming through. So making sure that we've got that scope, but also we're we holding it in, in balance, really. That there's, there's the due attention, if you like, to each of those strands. Other principles I think um, it's useful for the colleagues to think about is how things are sequenced. Now, there are certain things we know that children need to learn before they can learn new content. So, you know, if I give some examples there, you might want primary school pupils really, it's kind of handy if they've got a reasonable understanding of why the wind blows in the first place, or what some of the impacts might be, or the effects of, of underlying geology. So those kind of basics that sit around before we start moving into other physical and, and human processes. Got to think about how they build up their knowledge of, of locations over time. Um, so important that we, we understand things like both, both absolute, but more importantly, probably relative positioning. If we think that you know, we want children to remember where things are and the impact that it has of its particular location, whether that's because it's you know, closer to the equator or closer to a pole and, and what effect um, latitude has on it, for example. So bringing those things together at a fairly early stage is quite important because other than that, the order of things in geography is not too important. What is important, I would say, is the cohesion that sits behind it. How do things link together? So we know from the work that, that our, our cognitive science colleagues do, we know much more about how the brain works now. And we know it's those links that are really important if children are going to remember what we're teaching them. So in some respects, the ordering beyond getting the basics um, in, in, good, in a good place matters less so in geography than it would do if we were, for example, mathematicians. So nonetheless, we want those connections to be obvious. And we're a subject where the interconnectedness of those, uh, of those strands of knowledge is what makes our discipline. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a good piece of work that the colleagues can, can do, just checking that there is that cohesion there. I would say the other thing that, that is always I would reflect on is, is something that, that schools um, sometimes struggle with a little bit is around assessment. Do the assessments actually check what pupils know and, and will they flag to the teacher um, what bits of knowledge are missing or, or what's been misconceived or or even what what's been missing in the curriculum? So, so actually give that reflective, not just for to get better at geography, you need to, but actually internally within the school, do, is our curriculum actually hitting the mark that we want it to do? Um, we've also got the power of assessment that supports children remembering more, supporting their memory. And there's plenty been written. You can find it in journals like Teaching Geography or in things like Interweaving, Interleave and Space Practice. That concept of bringing previously learned knowledge back to the front of the working memory, that's going to really help pupils to, to get better at geography. So I think they're probably the big principles that, that colleagues might want to have a think about, John. Is there anything else about... Um the strengths and weaknesses of, of, say, the way they look at the locality compared to distant places that's characterised by a lot of schools? Or, or is it just different in different schools? I mean, I would say one of the common the common things, I'm not saying it's universal, but certainly one of the common things we see, um, John, is that, and it's been reported by HMI over the decades, is, is that you know, knowing where's where is not a strength of pupils in this country. Um, so, you know, we, 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 it's, it's, it's ever been thus, I, I think, I certainly can go back to about 1968 and find it in HMI reports. So it's been around for a long time. We've got to really, I think now, you know, one of the things I'm... Um, talking to our inspector workforce about is saying you know we've got to we've got to really challenge that we've got to ask why is that the question we're a spatially organized subject so so you know if we're not get, getting that 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 basic of our, of our subject that framework that our subject's built on then then we've really got to think about why that's the case we've got to encourage schools to think about why that's the case and hopefully help children to get better at it there's some very powerful software isn't there now like like Digimaps and 
ArcGIS, so that's, that might be too complicated. I'll get, I'll get told off for saying that now in primary, but probably not. Uh, but those give us, the, give teachers and students the, the tools to be able to zoom in and out much more effectively than using just a whiteboard and, uh, and an a textbook. Do you see the uptake of, of digital technology increasing? And do you see that as a support for this sort of spatial understanding? Yeah, sure. I mean, we've not done any in-depth study to that, John. It is something that's on my on my radar of, of something I'd like to, to look a little bit more into. We're, we're certainly entering into a time where the accessibility to those things um, are is, is much more accessible. I remember when I was a... Uh, I don't know, probably three or four years into my career, I remember bidding to uh, a gifted and talented fund to buy computers that were powerful enough to run a GIS system on and having to set them up in the library. And uh, it, was, it was a very, you know, they were very uh, technology intensive systems. Well, now you can do it on your mobile phone. So, so you know, much more accessible too is and, and uh, schools are, are, are more IT rich now than, than they were when when I started. Um, I started in the 90s and, and we had one computer room and you had to book it out and it only had enough for one computer between two. So you know that we've, we've come a long way since then. Um, do I commonly see it in, in my work? No, um, especially in the primary space but actually even in the secondary space. Um, I, I don't, but but I would agree with you, John. You know, and there's plenty been written on it. I think there's there's a few books that have come out recently that report specifically on you know the power of digital approaches to um, to strengthening children's geography that that you know schools should reflect on and see whether they can capitalise on these approaches. But to some extent, that will come back to I mentioned before about the importance of teacher professional development. For some teachers, they've never used these systems. They they might be used to using the Google Maps or um, but even Google Earth might be a step further on than than that and of course other packages are available but yeah I mean this the potential there to support children's spatial thinking is 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 quite significant so uh, yeah I would encourage schools to think about how they can incorporate that into their curriculum but incorporation is the important thing there's no point just having it as a standalone stick on unit and um, mm -hmm. let's use a GIS for for the sake of running through and practicing some skills actually we get the real power form right when we integrate it into our curriculum so that, that would be my kind of thinking around technology john i saw one it was just so simple but the the pupils were amazed by it they just plopped the british isles on a map of brazil it's a piece of, of uh, free software that you can use just to get a juxtaposition of the sizes of the two and the pupils were saying, what? Is it that big? And you don't get that necessarily from a map, even a world map. You look at a world map and there's Britain over there and there's Brazil down there. And it, it's not the same as, as just the simple act of plopping one into another. It made a huge difference. Sure. And I remember doing that exercise when I was training to teach John, but we got the children to cut out a, <laughs> you know, a little bit of the, of the British Isles and then how many times can you fit that into Brazil? So, yeah, so it's good to see that technology is doing, doing things that we've been doing for years and years, but much more efficiently, I'm sure. I remember doing that one with a world map and the number of students who got confused between South America and Africa and would juxtapose those two continents because they don't quite see what we think yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There are many, many ways in which we can play around with understanding better what children actually see compared to what we think they, they see, see us, us as geographers. Yeah. Absolutely. Amanda Spielman's described her ambition for Ofsted to be a force for good in education. What does that mean in practice for geography teachers? I think we've come some way towards understanding that because of what you've said already. But it would be nice for you to... Just take that through a bit further. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in the school space, you know, Amanda's view as, as chief inspector is very much about we want we want children to benefit from 
building that body of knowledge that's going to stand them in good stead for whatever they choose to do in the future. And, and for us as geographers, you know, we know that might end when they when they finish Key Stage 3 and that might be the end of their geography. Although really encouraging that more and more pupils are continuing to GCSE and even our A-level numbers are up as well, which is, which is great. Um, but recognising that, you know, what this framework, this inspection framework does is make sure that that breadth and balance of the curriculum is there, that that richness starts to come through. And, and we know when new frameworks come in, the sector responds and it, it takes some time to evolve. But, you know, the speed of change is really quite heartening, um, even even having had a pandemic in the, in the, in the last couple of years and, and the disruption that that's caused. I think I'm really heartened by the, the way in which schools have embraced um, this new inspection framework as, as a tool for good, which is exactly what the chief inspector wanted it to do. It's making sure that the breadth and the balance of the curriculum is there. We know, especially in the primary space, um, other subjects taking priority and so geography gets squeezed. Um, you know, there are there are cases where we've gone to primary schools and you know we're trying to play hunt the geography really um, or identify the specific geography content that might be in some some of the, the, the work that children are doing but through this framework we we can really look at that and, and really see whether that the curriculum is as well balanced as, as school leaders might tell us it, it is and we also want to make sure that children have got opportunity to practice their skills um, and apply their knowledge so in geography, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about resources, technology resources um, already, but you know, the teaching and practicing and building up those fieldwork skills. Um, I, I did a period where I was um, a senior examiner with with AQA and and did the the, the, the coursework was was my was my area of expertise. You know, I used to speak to teachers at, at, at training events or whatever, and they'd say, you know, they come with very little knowledge of how to carry out fieldwork, and yet. Fieldwork is a requirement in our key stage one scheme of work and our key stage two and key stage three. So it shouldn't really be that, you know, we're getting to the age of 14 and, and this is something we're having to, to teach as if, it, as if you know, children hadn't learned it before. So, so you know, it allows, um, I think this mechanism that we've now got with this framework allows us to, to get into a bit more of the detail there to make sure that that's happening. Um, and because head teachers don't always prioritise as things as... Um, as, the, as, for example, the National Curriculum might say they should do. And I think the other thing that, that comes through this, and, and again, you know, an agent for change and, and for improvement is around valuing teachers um, and making sure that they've got the knowledge they need to train, uh, to, to teach children, rather, in the subject um, really well. We've got a, a pretty sizable proportion of non-specialist teaching geography um, in our secondary schools. And the new figures, I think, are just out. Or it's around twelve percent, I think, of, of teachers teaching geography in secondary schools are, are not have not done geography beyond A level themselves, and the vast majority of our primary colleagues um, are in that same position. So, for geography, it's a real priority, making sure that teachers get the the subject knowledge, but also appreciate the discipline that is geography as well. How that knowledge has come about. So, this this inspection framework is an agent that helps that to happen. It, it kind of is reminding head teachers that and, and trust leaders and local authorities that, that 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 is the agenda and i certainly know from my own diary and that of colleagues you know we're doing a lot more speaking engagements with uh with with trusts and universities and um and local authorities where where we're just kind of embellishing on that a little bit more so that the people kind of know and and the uptake for it is really high um our, our, you know events that that we go and speak at we're seeing big audiences and people are really interested in this i think and certainly from the conversations i have with with school leaders because they really do see the value in it it's a huge challenge we don't underestimate that it is a challenge it's a change um, but schools are really embracing it well and uh and i think that's all to the good of, of children's education which is what the Chief Inspector set out to do when she started in 2017. You mentioned fieldwork there, which is interesting because I, it, it does tend to be a tack-on at times if you're not careful. And uh, it's a, there's also a challenge with some leadership teams who don't want students to go out too much because of the risk assessment, because of the disruption, because of mm. everything else. The last podcast we just had earlier this week was looking at virtual fieldwork. We decided, well, we didn't decide, I haven't party in this. We would call it digital field work rather than virtual, because virtual has its own 
um, its own meaning. That's the sort of work where you can collect data and process it and look at it, but but digitally. So you might be using drone footage, you might be using somebody else's video, but you've got also got the opportunity for for collecting material. It's an interesting one, which I think has been hugely pushed on by the pandemic. You mentioned the pandemic as well earlier on. So have you seen anything new with the use of digital fieldwork? You haven't had much chance with the with offset with the pandemic, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, and and our focus has, has not been quite as tightly perhaps on, on individuals kind of subjects and looking through the lens of subjects over the last sort of four or five months where we've been uh, carrying out our monitoring inspections and our assurance visits. But um, certainly just from my, my own things that come into my inbox or, or things that I see published in, in journals, there's more of it around. There's the, the, the availability of um of, of digital fieldwork resources is certainly more prevalent than I've seen in, in my 20 odd years of, of working in this space. And I think we would all, certainly you know, conversations I've had with, with colleagues in, in the geography community, you know, the value of going out and some of the, some of the soft skills perhaps that I learnt um, as a result of going out and doing the fieldwork. Children's risk assessing, um, children learning how to keep themselves safe when they're doing fieldwork are, are, are things that are not directly taught, but are learnt, um, and I think are really important um, things that, that children should learn. But when situations constrain us that, that we can't safely go out, and, and the last the last year has been a good example of that, then then it's a substitute, and it's to some respects it's better than not doing any at all, um, and possibly it's easier to integrate into your into your curriculum. So, you know, the, the swings and roundabouts to it. Um, it. If it means that children are practicing their fieldwork skills more and, and it's balanced with getting out when we can do and getting out could just be in the school grounds. I think people forget the value that there is just in, in the schoolyard or a school field or, you know, I, I do remember visiting a school where the children were all lined up against the, the fence on the, on the school side of the fence, but there was a main road run outside and fairly young children were doing their traffic counts, you know, great field work um we've all i'm sure taught our microclimate field works and, and looked at kind of how the school building might affect uh affect, affect the, the conditions um so we can use our school site we can go off site and we would always prefer to go off site geography happens beyond our classrooms but um but i think if we can capitalize on all the resources the, the issue for me john is that that pupils get to practice fieldwork skills because we know by practicing we get better at things and i think that's the beauty of virtual fieldwork actually because yep. you can then practice those it's if you take an inquiry approach which is the best fieldwork you can take an inquiry approach and explore bellies if you like because Absolutely. it's all virtual so you can embed it right the way through yeah the other thing that i'm not sure gets embedded as much as it could do we had this conversation when we were putting together that book, Progress in Geography, with uh, David Gardner, is the use of map work. Yeah. And again, you know, we need to teach those skills of, of how do we interpret a map? How do we construct a map? Um, as, as well as how we interrogate a map and what we learn from it. So uh, we know that's going to be most effective once we've got those kind of basic skills of, of how we how we read the map, depending on what type of map it is. We know we need we need a quite a broad but broad um, range of, of skills there. But once we've got that, then then again, it's that integration and it? it's that application. I'm looking at a particular uh geomorph geomorphological phenomena so so how do i see that how's that represented on a map how do what do i recognize in a, if we're in the human space on on land use patterns for example or how things are changing and we can look at maps over time so yeah i think you know they're they're um, they're hugely uh, empowering to children um and equally we can draw on the work of um, we've got we've got people like Paul Owens, haven't we, who who are doing loads of work on, on exploring children's mental mapping and, and what they bring with them and then how we move on from there. Because an important principle we've got is, is always building from from what children know uh, and taking them on in their in their journey as well. So, um, yeah, the power of maps, he says, as someone who's got a degree in the subject is, is, re is really important and should never be underestimated. There is a lot of discussion and, and we've really moved towards this about what's an effective geography curriculum. 
Um, and you've mentioned a bit about its content and a bit about its sequencing. What do you think are the key features of an effective curriculum in geography? Um, I think we've you know, probably we've we've gone through some of these already, John. So I think um, the main things are, are around you know what the, the substance of what we're teaching, the content. You know, have we got it? Have we got it all there? Are we covering the breadth of knowledge. Are we thinking about things like that? You know, if we think about case studies or um, or examples that we might be using, have we really thought quite carefully about them and how they play in? Let's think about how we're structuring the sequencing, the, the cohesion of our curriculum, um, and is that optimised for children remembering what we're teaching them? Um, we we want to think about um, the practice, the, the things we just talked about, you know, the drilling there of, of, of what's going on. We need to think, I think, a little bit more around, um, really around children's understanding and empathy for others. Um, we're a subject that draws on um, on the world and its people. So I think one of the things we, we, we would say, I would say from from my point of view as, as a going in and out of schools is, is that the focus on place. I think maybe this is one area where the national curriculum doesn't help us as much as it could and people's understanding of what place knowledge is um, might be something that we want to, to think. But if we think, I think it's uh, Larson and Harrington who wrote about um, place allowing pupils to locate or orientate themselves with respect to the larger global space and other places. That's really important. My position in, in, in the world, but equally appreciating others. And we've got we've got a real job um, to do there as, as the geography community. And it's that place that's going to connect with the physical topography or the, the human geography processes that are, are going on there along with personal experience. So giving that real rich meaning to location so we can really bring this all to life because you know, we're a real subject. It's happening day in, day out, minute by minute, and it's changing all the time. So we get that really, um, the relevance of our subject comes through really strongly. And I think that that's one of the unique points of, of, a, of a geography curriculum is that we can be really reflective and children are, are motivated when, you know, they hear about things in the media and then actually we can learn about why that's happening in, in geography um, is, is really helpful to them. You mentioned Paul Rowans there and I've learned an awful lot from working with Paul about how young children experience place and the work that she's done about how different people experience that same place. Um, uh, one of the one of the little activities she did was just imagine that you're only two and a half feet tall and you're walking along the road and there's a huge lorry going past with wheels that are bigger than you are. And, and, and then using that with older children to say, what's what's their experience? Where do you feel safe? Where where do you feel uh, challenged? Where do you feel scared? What's what's this what's this place doing to you? And then working on that. To, to compare with distant places. So they have a much better understanding that people in their place don't necessarily see the place in the same way as they do. Yeah, no, it's really important. Yeah. You've done some work, haven't you? Uh, you've got an article in, um, in Primary Geography. It's called Empowering Geography, a view from Ofsted in, in Primary Geography. That's in the spring edition, isn't it? Spring 2021. Yeah, just the last edition, John. So we must do a, a, a link to that one. And you talked about the empowering nature of the subject on pupils' experience. And you've started to talk about that. I just wonder if there's anything else you want to add. What did you mean by that? There's a couple of messages I wanted to bring through that, that article. It's a fairly, fairly short article. But one, location is important. It's, and geography is the subject that teaches it. So we've already mentioned children's locational knowledge is relatively weak um, from, from the work that, that, that we've done, but also many others have done in, in the field. So... If we don't teach it in geography, then the chances of it being taught at all are pretty, pretty slim. And, and children are interested in location. I, I think give people an atlas or a map. And my experience has always been that they engross themselves in them for a very long time. It's yeah. bringing those connections. It's helping people to contextualize things. So, you know, the, the eureka moments of, oh, I didn't realize that was where that was, you know, is, is really good. I didn't realize that in your case, Africa and South, Af South uh, Africa and South America are different places. You know, that's, that's always really quite helpful. Um, but I think also when in, in other aspects of the, of the, of the school life, um, so even like when they're reading a novel with the class teachers, if I'm in the primary space or, or, um, or they're, they're in a, a period of reading in, in secondary schools, lots of secondary schools these days are setting a bit of time aside each day for children to read. 
then actually we're really bringing that that book that they're reading to life because they appreciate more around the, the setting, the the, ge the geography and, and the atmospheric conditions that might be going on. So the richness of what they read and the, the level of comprehension is enhanced by it. Um, and in that sense, it, it, you know, it really empowers um, empowers pupils in, in, in building their, their knowledge and their understanding. Um, and, the, and the third thing is when you know where places are and you know, you know the kind of conditions of those places, then actually go back to the cognitive science that that takes away some of that cognitive load because you already know that stuff and so you can you can move on more quickly the second strand i really drew out i wanted to draw it in that article was around place it's one of the objects you know I've, I've said to you just you know uh, as we've talked this morning around you know it's it's potentially the least well understood of a of a um, of our strands within the national curriculum and I think I'll probably speak a bit more on this at, at the GA conference in April, so I won't say too much at this point. But you know the importance of that connectedness and that empathy that, that you've just talked about through the you know that example you use of Paula's is really important, and actually gives sense of agency to the to the pupil themselves. So we're we, we're foreground in that. I think with those two aspects, and and you know I'm taking at it from two points of view, from a school leadership point of view, you know the importance of geography as a, as a, as part of the curriculum. Um, and, and enriching the curriculum and helping children's memories and, and understanding. And then from the pupil's point of view of, of promoting their agency um, in, in the world is, you know, for me, they're two of the big, big contributors that, that geography brings. Does Ofsted have a view on how best to teach geography lessons? I, I, I got the impression in the past sometimes, not from Ofsted necessarily, but from publications, how to teach the best Ofsted lesson. And you've got this massive tick list. Ah, well, no, that's an important question. And, and John, that's probably one of the questions we're asked most often. Um, so reassuringly, the answer to it is no. Um, but I think what we can say is we do know what, te what that teaching works best when, you know, a number of conditions are fulfilled. One is well matched to what pupils already know, um, that the teaching um, builds on that and that pupils gain new knowledge and they remember it. So you could take those three points, but no, there's no typical approach that, that Ofsted would say is more effective than another. Um, it will depend on the children and the context every time. I think in the past that's frightened teachers because they thought there's, there's one way to do it. And the message is not necessarily coming from Ofsted, but it comes from a leadership team, oh, should I say this, that have um, perhaps misunderstood. So you must do a three-part lesson was what we had that years and years ago. It's uh, it's a tricky one, and that's really interesting to hear that from you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you just a couple more questions as, as we run to the end of this. How are non-specialists trained? Because geography, I think geography is probably one of the worst, one of the most difficult subjects. You've said places is misunderstood at times. So how do you? How do you train non-specialists to look for the sorts of intricacies that a geographer would find, but a non-specialist might not? And I think that comes back to that, the point I've made, made previously, John, is, is around you know, the professional development, the in-service professional development that, that school leaders make sure that their staff get, and, and particularly for those who are non-specialists. But for those of us who are specialists, we need to be kept, kept up to date. So you know, is there a rich diet? of professional development that, that uh, staff can get access to. We, you've, you've mentioned the GA, of course, there's the RGS and there are other professional organizations out there as well. But, you know, being members of the subject community as well are really important. Um, there are loads of opportunities. And actually one of the things through the pandemic, the accessibility to, to all that training and, and you know, knowledge building for teachers has dramatically increased and you know the advent of or, or our revelationary findings of things like uh, you know, the online video conferencing packages has really opened that up and certainly you know, the number of people who are joining sessions that, that I might be leading for an hour after school you know I've, I've never done so many if I'm being perfectly honest. Okay I'm going to ask you, ask you one last one I think. What are the key strengths and weaknesses of the find with geography? So that changes as, as time goes by, John. And but I would say consistently over the year, the years, you know, and the positives, it's it's consistently comes out as a subject that engages pupils, um, and the aspects that, that they're learning, that they're seen as being relevant, and they really capture pupils' interests. So you know, it's real real strength. 
Recent change is the greater focus on geography as a subject, especially in primary schools. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, it often got kind of lost. Um, now, head teachers are very keen to make sure we can identify and children can identify. Uh, and more importantly, the teachers can identify when they're actually teaching geography. So there's more geography in the curriculum, which, which you know, for me is a mighty triumph, and, and uh, I'm really pleased about that. And you would think that I'm, uh, you know, as an advocate for geography. Mm. And certainly, there's better thought going into what's being taught, how it's taught, how it links. So that's all on the on the positives. So it's a, it's an improving and positive picture in that sense. On the flip side, we've talked about locational knowledge still being quite variable. The concept of place tends to be reduced just to that comparing locations rather than the, the richer grasp that we've, we've talked about this morning. Um, teacher knowledge we've just talked about, you know, I think that is that is a challenge, both in content and pedagogical understanding. And that and the dynamism of our subject having to keep up to speed as well. Um, and, and the role is increasing um, prevalence of, of non-specialist teachers as well so the the need mm -hmm. for good CPD becomes even more important so I'd say you know in, in a nutshell there that, that's kind of the synopsis of, of geography at the moment um, it will change we're, we're hoping that we will be able to kind of uh, resurrect the all thematic reports at some point in the not too distant future so um, hopefully we'll be able to to get some more information out in the, in, in the fullness of time. Well, that's been most interesting and really useful too. So thank you very much for your time today. I just want to, to finish really on, uh, on just asking you if there are any top takeaways or top tips that are hot off the press that we should be telling geography teachers. What advice would you give? There are a number of things you can do. Um... Oh, you might want to do. Ofsted never prescribes. So you, you, know, you might want to check the scope of your curriculum. Are you actually covering what's set out, at least that which is set out in the national curriculum? Ask yourself the question of, does it hang together well? Do and, and really the test of that is, do pupils remember what you've taught them? Both short term and long term. You know, I've harped on in, in, this, in this podcast, John, about, about location and place. So are you giving enough attention, teachers, to, to, you know, to location and place in your teaching? Not, and and if, you, if you're a primary school teacher, not just in the geography, but are you bringing it out through, through all the, the subjects that you're teaching when it's appropriate? Um, and then I guess the last point is, are our colleagues getting the support and the CPD that they need? They would be my kind of takeaway points, John. I think, um, you know, we're, 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 we're an improving place and, um, and we want that journey to continue. And that's a really positive place to end, I think, an improving place. That's really been fascinating today. Thanks very much, Ian. John, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's episode of JogPod, you might also enjoy the GA Annual Conference. Taking place online from Thursday the 8th to Saturday the 10th of April this year, the conference gives you access to over 100 lectures and workshops from academics and teachers. There is also a programme of social events, giving you the chance to network with other teachers, alongside an exhibition, so you can discover what's on offer to support you. Prices start at just £50 for the full three-day conference, and student members of the GA can attend for free. Search GA Conference online for more information. <laughs>